thanks for praying with us today. Um, I know that it's challenging to have a time of corporate prayer when we have this many kids back in the room. So thanks, kids, for sticking with us during that time. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and to turn to John chapter 16 today. Uh, John chapter 16 is... We're going to cover an entire chapter of Scripture today. It's going to be 33 verses. I'm not going to say everything that needs to be said about them, as if you could do that uh, in regards to any text. Uh, The big idea today is that we are not alone. We are not alone. Because we know the Father, and we have lasting peace and joy through the Holy Spirit. I want to highlight just a few key important points regarding Jesus' ministry to the world. And I hope that you will be reminded in this season that you are not alone. Take just a minute and think along with me. Remember a time where you have experienced loneliness in the past. Stop and think with me for a minute. What is a time where you, were, you just felt really alone? Now I want you to do something. Turn to someone who's near you and share with them that moment. Yes, you can talk. I know you have a mask on. It might be a little weird. You don't have to take your mask down to talk. Uh, Turn and share with them. What was a moment where you felt really alone? So if you're on the live stream with us, you can go ahead and drop uh, that moment in the comments with us. And you can interact with us in that way. Okay, who has like a moment where you can just tell us like, Not all the details, but just the period of time. Like this is when somebody felt really alone. Shout it out. When COVID started. Man, we can all identify. Somebody else. When we move. Yeah. Everything's different. Anybody else? Nobody been lost in the grocery store when you were a kid? Like, just me. Okay, well, I'll share an experience with you. It wasn't that long ago. It was back in about 2011. It was the, the summer of 2011. And whenever I drive by the Wendy's on Union, I think about this moment where I felt so utterly alone. I was about a month away from not having a paycheck anymore, feeling like God had called us to plant a church in Midtown. We didn't have a partner church yet. And I was here looking for housing. Our family was back in Nashville, and I was desperately looking for a place to rent. And it just seemed like there were, if you've ever tried to find the right Midtown home... It's very difficult in your price range. It can be very difficult. And my price range wasn't that great because I was about a month away from not having a paycheck. And it just felt like, God, I feel like we have heard from you clearly, but I 
feel so alone. Now, I remember eating dinner at that Wendy's and just this sense of like, so alone. The only people I knew that were going to be a part of this church were our family. I didn't know, I didn't know Chris at that time. I didn't know Jared. I didn't know Ben or Matt. I didn't know Juan and Takesha. I didn't know Jeff and Marsh. I didn't know anyone. If I would have just known one other person, it would have been so helpful. Just felt so alone. Jesus' disciples, in the moment that we're looking at in John 16, are, are, have those types of feelings that you've kind of relived this morning, that you've remembered as you've thought back to those moments when you were alone. They're in this moment, the second part of what we call the upper room discourse. And Jesus is describing to them how he is about to leave them. And they are deeply concerned. Not only that Jesus is going to go away, but all their hopes and dreams, everything that they have staked the last three years on right now, it's at stake. And they're wondering, what is next for us? So as we look at this text this morning, we're going to unpack a lot. This is some of the most crucial information that Jesus gives us on the work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to unpack that. And I hope that you will be filled with hope, peace, even joy, as you're reminded of God in us. Let's look, beginning in verses 1-4, through we'll get some good context Jesus said, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. If you remember, Jesus has said to his disciples, you'll be hated, you'll be persecuted. He even goes on to say that you'll be put out of the synagogue and even killed. And as you're killed, people like the apostle, seem to be the apostle Paul, who is then Saul, will think that he's honoring God. To be put out of the synagogue would mean that you have lost all relationship with people who you could get a job with, with people that you're living in community with. And so Jesus is warning them, don't be so discouraged when this takes place that you fall away. Because God hasn't given up on the world, and we looked at this last week, and because God hasn't given up on the world, He's even going to use us to show the world His love for them. Jump into verse 5 and we're going to see the first point that Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shines a light on our deep emotional and spiritual conflict. The Holy Spirit shines a light on our deep emotional and spiritual, you could use the word conflict or you could use the word need. Let's look at verse 5. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to Him who sent me And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Jesus begins in verse 5 and He says, I'm going to... I'm." But now I am going to Him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? That seems like a strange thing to say. It seems strange that Jesus would, ask, would say, none of you ask me where I'm going, because, in fact, Peter asked that exact question in, in John chapter 13, verse 36, if you remember that. And so what does Jesus mean by this? Most likely, it seems that Jesus is pointing to the fact that none of the disciples are truly concerned about where he is going, for his sake, but only for the fact that he is leaving them. Kind of like a young kid who the dad says, hey son, we can't go fishing because I've had an, a, an emergency at work. And the young son or daughter says, well, what's the emergency at work? Not so much out of concern for the dad, but more out of like, why can't we go fishing, right? The disciples are thinking about themselves, which is what most of us as children do. And Jesus understands this, and, and He's not shaming them, but look at verse 6. It should cause us encouragement. He says, But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus understands. He feels our emotions. He understands our pain. But keep in mind, that doesn't mean He'll always and instantly rescue us. We've all got households full of kids right now that the majority of them are doing school virtually. And, just, and none of them like it. But that doesn't mean that we're all going to jerk them out of school, right? Because school is good for them. And so we don't always get rescued from things that we don't like. And the disciples didn't either. And in verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send Him to you. Now, we, Christians, look at me. We know this text about the Spirit. We've heard this over and over again. We know it cognitively, intellectually. We know this to be true. But if we're really honest with ourselves, this must have been weird for the disciples. And it's a little bit weird for us. Think about it for just a minute. If Jesus had given His disciples the options, who would have chosen what's behind door number one, which is Jesus staying on earth? Or who would have chosen what's behind door number two, which is a mysterious replacement? The Holy Spirit. God in you. That's weird. Can we acknowledge that the Trinity and trying to wrap our minds around the person of God is a mystery. I mean, we need to acknowledge, I think, our own feelings. Who would the disciples have chosen? Who would you choose? Because even for followers of Jesus who are familiar with the Bible, intellectually, we know that it's better that the Holy Spirit is in us 
than Jesus simply with us, but practically, let's just be honest, we kind of treat the Holy Spirit like a third cousin from Mississippi that we know we should be nice to, but that we're not really that concerned with getting to know them because it seems like they could be a little weird. If you're from Mississippi, I can say that. I'm from Alabama, so don't be offended. Mississippi's just a closer state. The Holy Spirit is someone that most of us, because of past filters, we have some odd ideas about. And while we don't have time to unpack all of that, it is important that we know that the Holy Spirit is, is God, fully God, that, that He is uh, some that He is God in us as Jesus would be if He were with us. There is one God, and God is three distinct persons in Father, Son, and Spirit, each fully God. But I love the mystery of this. We often act like, oh, yeah, that's just, we all understand it. We don't understand it. I love the way in which one theologian put it. He said, Christian theology has come to use the word person, person to speak of these differences in relationship, not because we fully understand what is meant by the word person in referring to the Trinity, but rather so that we might say something instead of nothing at all. The Holy Spirit is the person of God who is in us, and that is a mystery that is meant for us to be explored. And Jesus is unpacking who He is to us in this text. Look at verse 8. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So keep in mind, He's going to do these things because Jesus is no longer here. So that's the context for Jesus' statement. Jesus is saying, I've been doing these things as I've walked the earth in a limited body. As a man who is also fully God, yet who is limited, who can't be everywhere at once. And now because Jesus is saying, I'm going away, He's saying the, the Holy Spirit's going to continue the work that He has done, but even in a greater, we could even say more effective manner, because he is, the Holy Spirit isn't limited. He's not in the person of a, of a man. When he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. Aren't you glad that we don't have to face everything in our life at once? Jesus says you can't bear all that I have for you right now. Think for a moment. What if you knew all the worst circumstances of your life? All the breakups and divorce and sickness and relational hurts. All the things that you've experienced that have brought sadness and anxiety and even hurt to you. What if you knew all of those before you ever started your life? We would, we, we would be so paralyzed by fear and anxiety. We couldn't live our life. And so Jesus doesn't expect us to live that way. We don't have to live that way. It's not healthy. We have a better way. The Holy Spirit is our guide. He's our comforter. He shares with us what we need to know. 
The Holy Spirit's work is to bring people to acknowledge their guilt. In this passage of Scripture, we see this is the only time in Scripture that the Spirit's work is pointed to as convicting the world in regards to sin. All other passages in regard to the Spirit speak to the Spirit's work in believers. But here, John, and this ties into the whole thesis of the book of John, the Gospel of John, John said, I read this long gospel, this long narrative of good news for one purpose, that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that in believing that you would have life. That's John's whole purpose. And he's saying that part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world in regards to their own sin so that they would come to Jesus and that they would find life. Life. Listen, if you're here today or if you're listening online through the live stream and you would say, I believe in God, but I don't really have any use for Jesus, then you've missed the whole point. Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Meaning, you don't get God without Jesus because Jesus is God. And that's important. That's that's what John has been pointing us to in this Gospel. Jesus has come in order that people would surrender their lives to Him and follow Him. We see that expressed in the church by believers being baptized and saying that I want to show the world that what Jesus has done for me, that He's cleansed me of my sins, that those waters, that they don't cleanse me, but I'm showing the world and I'm being reminded of this, this outward picture of what's taken place spiritually, the mystery of God coming to dwell in me. And so if you don't know Jesus, come to know Him today. Surrender your life to Him. Follow Him in believer's baptism. Commit to say, I believe the Holy Spirit in me will direct my life better than I can. We pick up in verse 13. Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He'll speak, and He'll declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what's mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that He will take what's mine and declare it to you. And as a result of that, we see the eleven disciples, and then Paul, who later sees Jesus and has an encounter with the risen and ascended Jesus on the Damascus Road, we see that Paul and the eleven disciples primarily oversaw and wrote the New Testament books of the Bible. And God continues to use His words, these writings, today to speak to us as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And so, we see that the Spirit shines a light on our deep emotional and spiritual conflict, our need for a Savior. Secondly, we see that the Holy Spirit is the source of all true joy. The Holy Spirit is the source of all true joy. Look at verses 16 through 24. A little while, and you'll see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of His disciples said to one another, What is this that He says? A little while, and you will see me. And again, a little while... And, and a little while and you will not see me, and a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. Is this where translated in Memphis today, Memphis Public Schools, it would merely be, I'm going to be gone for a little minute, and then I'm going to be back in a little minute. So, that's what Jesus is saying, if you got lost there. 
dad joke for you, Kel. Um, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you'll not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman's giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you'll ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus is preparing His disciples for the fact that Christianity is not the yellow brick road of health, wealth, and prosperity that we talked about last week. In fact, His disciples would have to endure the agony of watching His crucifixion and the suffering and hurt and abandonment that they would experience and that they would feel in that in-between time between the cross and the resurrection and then the persecution that would come on the other side of the cross. Our lives will be no different. Jesus said that we would face persecution because we love Him. Even so, even though this, this would be terrible, the results would be well worth the pain, he says, like a woman who is in childbirth. So we have to remember as believers that although Jesus was speaking to his disciples of his crucifixion, we too will face times of suffering. We have to remember his words that the results of his resurrection is joy and that no one can take this from us. But look at how we miss out on joy. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says, In that day you'll ask nothing of me. Why would we ask nothing of him? Well, he's telling the disciples that because he'll be gone. Up until that point, everything they've needed, they've come to Jesus. They've said, Jesus, this is what we need. Jesus, we're dependent upon you. Jesus, we're in need. Jesus, the storm, look at the storm. Jesus, you're asleep. Wake up. Jesus, we're hungry. They've come to Jesus for everything. He says, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. So Jesus is saying, when you pray in alignment with my will and my purposes and my kingdom and desires, the Father's always going to grant it. He says, until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. That's fascinating. Our joy, Jesus says, is connected to our asking But I would go further to say that our asking is connected to our neediness. And if we aren't a very needy people, then we will not ask. And if we don't ask, then we won't experience the joy that comes in God's provision in our lives. We won't rely on God. As we pray, we seek God's glory. And He will answer. 
Everything that's prayed in alignment with His will. So we should pray that our joy would be full. I want to give you a couple of thoughts because we're in a season. I meet with pastors regularly and we usually ask each other, how are you doing? And I I want to answer that meaningfully without just downloading all my stuff to them. That's a dangerous question. How are you doing in this season of time, isn't it? And one of the things that that I found myself saying is others have said, how are you doing? And they genuinely mean it. I've, I've said, I think that I realize that I have to fight for joy more than it seems like I've had to in the past. That I've had to fight for just keeping a, a passion for Jesus and, and for joy and, and peace in this time. And I want, I want to encourage you to, to consider something. We have a couple different aspects that we can take on 2020. We can either look forward to January 1st, 2021. Which, by the way, I asked our elders just last week. Guys, we, we've got to start thinking in terms of vision for our church and continuing like long term. As we think about vision for 2021, how long do you guys think we're going to be wearing masks? And they both kind of went all year. And I kind of think they're right. And so I don't know if that makes you sad or sorrowful, but what I'm trying to get across to you is that this isn't going away quickly. And even if it did, what it's showing us is how displaced we feel when we get out of our regular norms and routines. It's showing us how much we need Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, we have 60 days left in this year. What would it be like if you said, I'm going to redeem 2020. And here's how I'm going to do it. You can join me in this. Every day, I'm going to take the time to write down some things that I am grateful for. Every day. Got 60 days left. I got 60 days to practice rewiring my thinking to say, God, what have you done today that I can be grateful for? Did that this morning. I just began to think about, and what was funny is as I started thinking about a few things, there were more things that started coming to mind than I could even had time to record in my journal. Ann Voskamp has written a book called A Thousand Blessings. And she talks about this practice of recording these moments of gratitude and thankfulness and how it realigns our heart to the Lord. What would it be like if every morning, noon, and evening you just practices, practice those, those offices that, that people within the church have practiced for centuries, coming to God, even if it's just for two minutes, and saying, I'm going to steal my heart morning, noon, and evening, as I prepare my meals, let them be a reminder, I'm going I'm to look to God. I'm going to be still. I'm going to look to the One and recognize the One who is in me, who is the source of all true joy. Maybe you'd even join me. There's a group of pastors, um, three or four churches that are all part of the Soma family of churches that we're connected with. And we met this last Friday and decided we're going to start fasting on Tuesdays. Just a 12-hour fast from like 6 in the morning to 6 in the evening. So skip breakfast and lunch. And we're going to 
fast together. Invite our elders into that. We're going to meet regularly. And uh, we'll meet from time to time and uh, end our fast together and pray together and seek the Lord in calling out and saying that the church that God has called us to and the vision that He has called, for instance, Mercy Hill Church to, the vision is so much greater than what we can accomplish on our own in this city for God's glory. And so just we're just trying to to find a way that we can come around the idea that we are needy and that we need God and that we need one another. You could join us in that. We have to fight for joy. And I think a lot of fighting for joy means cutting out distractions that are around us that distract us from the joy of recognizing Jesus who is in us. I just want to remind you, we have direct access to the Father in prayer, but we use it so infrequently because we're distracted. We have direct access to the Father. And as you ask in Jesus' name, remember, our asking and God's answering is based completely on Jesus' work on the cross and the love the Father has for us because of Jesus. We are children of God. So often we fall into the temptation um, when it comes to prayer of falling into kind of a works righteousness mentality in which we think that our praying and God's answering is affected by how well we've been doing. In fact, that works righteousness mentality oftentimes keeps us from ever even coming to the Father in prayer. And so remember, our asking and God's answering is based completely on Jesus' work on the cross. The love the Father has for us. It's why we pray in His name. Right? We're not praying in our name. We're praying in His name and the work that He has done on our behalf. Finally, we see that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is the source of all Peace. Listen, I want to wrap up really quick. I'll finish reading the chapter. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you'll ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father Himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and I've come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you'll be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I just want to end by asking this question and then having us focus on on one, one exercise. Jesus says, in Him we have peace. In the world we have tribulation. And so we ask ourselves, is your life Experiencing peace or tribulation right now? Is your life rocked by the season we find ourselves in currently? The pandemic completely unending, upending most of our norms? 
the vicious election cycle that we see our, current, our country currently embroiled in, job loss, economic struggles. If you're focused on the world, the guarantee is that you will have tribulation. That's what this passage says. If you're focused on the world, the guarantee is you will have tribulation. Not to say that we shouldn't be concerned about the world. That we shouldn't pray about what we're experiencing in the world. Please, go and vote on Tuesday. But as we focus our mind's attention and our heart's affection on Jesus, He promises us peace. And so this next week, I want you to consider something. As you find moments where you are experiencing loneliness much like I found myself experiencing this last week, I want to remind, yourself, I want to remind you I've got um, an emotional chart that I'll put up for you. Some of you have seen this before. If you don't have it, um, I can easily send it to you. Just email me. You'll see the gift of feelings. Each of these are gifts that God's given to us. All of these are good feelings. They're good gifts. Anger, hurt, lonely, sad, fear, shame, guilt, and glad. These eight feelings are all good feelings but look at lonely when we are lonely we have a couple of different ways in which we can move if we move toward unhealth if we move towards uh, non-resourcefulness the impairment is apathy so if we find ourselves at a place where we're lonely and we say you know what I don't really need anybody I'm fine I've got this I don't need people around me. I don't need people to love me. I can do life on my own. A lot of people think that the opposite of love is hate. The opposite of love is not hate. Hate is just like love embroiled. You know, like we we hate someone because we love them so much and we're not getting what we want. The opposite of love is actually apathy. Apathy says I can do it on my own. And here's the problem with apathy. If we stay in that place of apathy, um, we will move in toward evil. We'll look for the junk food of this world to try to bring not satisfaction and not peace because that only comes in being known. We'll look to this world to bring temporary relief. Instead of finding ourselves, we'll lose ourselves. Listen to what Chip Dodd says in The Voice of the Heart. Loneliness is satisfied only in intimacy. Without admitting loneliness, we are destined to remain in deep emotional and spiritual conflict. If we don't address it, loneliness never stops whispering to us in the quiet moments. Something is missing. So instead of filling our hunger with authentic relational sustenance, we feed our hearts junk. That relieves instead of feels. But in those moments of loneliness. What would it be like. If we move toward the resourceful side. Which is into me. See. Know me. I'm needy. I'm not experiencing peace right now. What did I do this last week. When I was feeling lonely. I told my wife. I said I'm feeling lonely this week. We talked about it. I didn't want to keep that inside. Into me, see. That you would see that I am lonely and that I need relationship. What would it be like if not only we told that to one another, but that we told that to God? 
And that in those moments where we reach out to God in prayer, that we begin to experience the peace and the joy that comes in finally in being known. In being known. Because by surrendering to the truth that we are made for relationship, we find the very things we thought we could never have, which is closeness and warmth and tenderness and intimacy and love with ourselves and others and God. This week I want to encourage you in the moments where you are aware of your loneliness, that you would reach out to God and that you would be reminded That the Holy Spirit is not some weird third cousin from Mississippi. But that the Holy Spirit is Jesus in us. Fully God. Making Himself known. Making ourselves known to Him. Providing relationship and intimacy and peace that is far more than anything that we will ever feel in this world. And even joy. In the midst of turbulent times. Let's pray together. We invite the band to come up. Father, thank you. Thank you for this text. There's so much here to unpack. God, thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit to us. Jesus, thank you for your work on the cross. And thank you for the Spirit who then glorifies you. And reminds us of your love for us. And the fact that you are in us. God, thank you that you feel the emotional pain that we experience. God, that you love us enough that you don't show us all of the future. But God, you give us the peace of God in us so that we can trust you. That we can live for you one day at a time. Being thankful for your goodness and trusting in your grace. And in the moments where we experience evil and hurt. Knowing that Satan has been judged and that you have a plan. And that Jesus, you are coming back. And that you have saved us. Jesus, thank you for your love. May we even feel that in a renewed sense today as we sing to you. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Stand together with us and sing.